0: So this morning we return again to the book of Ephesians and we'll be looking at verses uh, 15 through 18, chapter Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 18. And, and the title of this morning's message is Our Position in Christ, Our Position in Christ. Now we've uh, wrapped up that big, large, one run-on sentence in the original language that for us, uh, runs from verse, verse 3 to verse 14. So that one long sentence of all that we are in Christ, really our position in Christ, our standing in Christ, what God has worked in us, the spiritual reality of God redeeming a people to himself through the atoning work of Christ and now positionally are being hidden in Christ. Justified before a holy God and the riches the spiritual riches that are uh, then placed into our bank account, so all of that has been laid out for us in verses four uh, excuse me three through fourteen we've looked at that for several weeks prior, and now that 's the praise, so we can look at that and say that 's Paul here as he begins Ephesians. Uh, that's Paul's praise for our position in Christ, what God has done for us in Christ. And now I want you to hold on this because the crux of our sanctification uh, depends on this spiritual reality, which is uh, a little bit of a conundrum for us. It seems counterintuitive. So I want you to lay hold of this. Follow Paul's pattern here. It's very intentional. He follows this praise with a prayer. So three through uh, uh, 14 is, is praise, and then immediately he's going to follow that with a prayer, which is verses uh, 15 through the end of the chapter, verse 23. We'll be looking again at verse 15 through 18 this morning, and we'll try to um, address the other verses at another time, Lord willing. But I'm going to just, for, again, for us to get a flavor of this language, which is, is mind-boggling. It's, it's literally beyond us. In and of our own strength and the human capacity, the frailty of our being cannot comprehend such glorious truths. We can't. And we'll address some of that, but here, we're going to hear the language. And so I want you to see praise and then we're going to read 15 through 18. So praise followed by prayer. Okay. Beginning in verse three. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him With the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. There's the praise. Now the prayer, or part of the prayer. We'll be looking through 15 through 18. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith, uh, excuse me, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you. And your love for all the saints. Do not cease giving thanks for you (coughs) while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And now we'll, we'll just read the first part of verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. I'm we'll stop right there and address the host, okay? So there, there's the language. There's the praise, and now it's followed by the prayer. Paul's prayer for all saints everywhere. Now, certainly for the saints everywhere, but that's for all the saints throughout all time. So these verses um, are Paul's relating to us how incomprehensible our spiritual ret- riches are that we possess in Christ. Literally, we cannot, we cannot ponder or lay hold of them or obtain them or walk in them in and of our own strength, in and of our own capacity. So what's the answer? Literally, the spirit of God that indwells every believer must take these spiritual riches, this position that belongs to us in Christ and fill that out in our lives supernaturally galvanize that reality into our lives that we walk in this truth, that we live these things out. So we can't live these things out in and of our own strength. The Spirit of God that indwells us must grant us capacity, understanding, wisdom, knowledge to walk in these truths. He must really, he must energize our capacity to live out our position. Otherwise, it's just too lofty. It's just kind of uh, intellectual, spiritual truths floating around that really are not where we can lay hold of them and apply them. We're just, we're like, we're like little children groping in a dark room. So obviously that's not the fullness of our calling, but it has a process of how it works. And Paul prays here that all that is true in us positionally will now be lived out. That's the responsibility we have of worship, but we will not worship well, just uh, plodding along in our own strength. That must be the power of God to the glory of God working out in our lives. So this truth, is laid hold of in prayer. That's worship. Our worship and prayer is the means through which we lay hold of this truth, our position, now empowered by the Spirit of God to be lived out to the glory of God. There's a means through which this works, and it's prayer. And I'll say to you, I have a confession. When I think about it, I'm working through this, and I have this role with the elders here of this church. Then you get to these things, and then it's too weighty for you. And and you don't want to come Sunday morning. You don't want to stand, and you don't want to lay out these truths because I haven't prayed for your spiritual well-being and your spiritual walk the way I should. I haven't. There's no way I look at this text, and there's no way I've encouraged the elders of this church. I've spent time in my, my quiet life, and I've, I've tried to galvanize them together to pray for us, to walk this way as I should. So that's a confession. As I, I have to be, I have to open this text and we have to look at it this morning. And, and it's too glorious. And that's part of what we're called to do as elders, is to pray. That God would do this work in the lives of our people. And it's too, it's too marvelous, it's too big, it's too powerful, and it's too straightforward for an elder to stand here before the people and, and say and, and speak about it and pray as little as I prayed for us for this to be true, for us to walk this way, for us to have the power of the Spirit working this truth out in us. We must pray for this diligently. If we're one another, the others, of this church, we must do more in terms of prayer. The Spirit of God has to take this, our positional truth, and work it out in our lives. We cannot do it another way. So this little language here just to try to, to, try to fill that in and kind of give that a foundation. Listen to the language that we find in Scripture when we're talking about our spiritual riches really being beyond the capacity for, for humans to grasp. First Corinthians uh, chapter two, verses nine and 10. The things which eyes have not seen and ears have not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love him. That's our position. That's what's been prepared for us as who we are, as the as people we are in Christ. For to us, God revealed them how? Through the spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So our riches in Christ are really beyond human understanding. We must depend upon the spirit of God to understand the things of God and apply them in our lives. First Corinthians 2.11. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. The Spirit of God must do this work. Our job is to pray the Spirit of God to work this out in us. A righteous walk, holiness. A walking in righteousness. That's our call. And we're called in Christ to be holy. And and I fear that we're so busy doing something in the name of Jesus that we're, we've lost sight of our call, which is to be holy. And that takes much prayer for it to be worked out in the people of God. So these verses, again, they convey the deep truths of God that belong to us in Christ. It's our, it's our possession, it's our position in Christ. That's the grace of God that's been granted to us through the atonement of Christ. And Paul here prays that these truths Will be understand understood that we'll live them out. So that we will live them out. So he describes our position and then he prays that we'll understand. I know it's straightforward, but I want to try to drive this home. That we too will follow suit and do likewise. And again, I mentioned the elders, I mentioned myself. I don't speak for the other elders, but I know I have not. For really encourage the men to spend more time for us to spend more time together praying for this to be true in us and I know quietly in my quiet time it's not been near enough and I'm at this text so that's my personal confession. But think about Acts three, right? The apostles, or excuse me, Acts chapter six, the apostles there when um, the brethren have called them together and they said, you know, man, we've got this problem, we've got an issue. And uh, it's it stirring up trouble in the church. And so the, the apostles there, uh, the apostles of Christ say, look, um, we need men. We need, we need to choose out men, righteous men, set them aside to do this work. And then they go on and they say something that might sound a little harsh, but they were, they were trying to just make a, a real point for their role of who they are. Look, we're not, we're not serving tables. That's not our job. We need righteous men to do this work. So they chose the men. But then remember what they said? But we'll devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And that's how it works. Now that's the job of the elders. Certainly we're to pray for one another. But see how it goes? Prayer and the ministry of the word. And that's exactly what Paul's doing here. He's given us the ministry of the word, this glorious reality of who we are in Christ. And then he prays that the spirit of God will take the word of God and minister it into our heart in a way that we'll understand it. Understand it to the point of living it out. Because otherwise we can't. So understanding our position in Christ enables us to walk in righteousness. That's how it works. And that's counterintuitive. Because everything about us. And I think just as, as uh, humans. But certainly Americans. Where I can do people. And everything about us says. You know. Give me. Give me a look. Give me a mission. Send me on it. And let me do it. Wind me up. Turn me loose. Give me something to do. And that does not enable us to walk in righteousness. Actually, sometimes that drives us closer or deeper into our own flesh. It's not who we are in Christ. So understanding comes to the power of the Spirit, access through intercessory prayer. It's It's a worship. It's a dependence on God for every capacity to be a vessel of God. All to the glory of God. All to the glory of God. So elders, oh, how we should pray for the people. In our Wednesday night prayer time, that's what we're trying to do. And certainly we want to continue to pursue that, to to pray for the, the, the needs of the people, practical needs. But then spend time praying for the wealth of our soul. To know who we are in Christ that we might be empowered to walk in righteousness. So that's us very front loaded, but that brings us to just that point. We must depend upon the spirit. And I want you to just look at some of the language there in verses 15 through 17. So knowing who we are in Christ is really the foundational piece to our our sanctification, to our growing in Christ, growing in Christ's likeness. And not knowing who we are in Christ really keeps us Uh, um, At a distance. So knowing our position in Christ, praying for the spirit of God to to uh, take these truths and galvanize them in our lives really keeps us from trying to serve Christ, live the Christian life in our own strength. And that's often what we do. We find all kinds of ways, and all kinds of language to to give to it to kind of justify it. But it's us. And it doesn't, uh, it, it doesn't bode well. So the Spirit of God grants us wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. That's what the Spirit of God does, okay? All of our position, all that wisdom, all that knowledge, all that reality is given to us by the Spirit. And we access that in prayer. The Spirit is equipping us to become, if you will, who we are positionally. In Christ, so uh, maybe that's a familiar language. Which of you have heard that. So our sanctification, our worship, our walking in righteousness is really us growing and maturing in our faith. So we're becoming who we are in Christ. All these things are true of us in Christ. All this blessing belongs to us in Christ. And now it's a matter of growing in the faith and our worship, really becoming who we are. In Christ, so through the power of the Spirit, we can understand what is being said in these verses, and it's not just lofty ideas and notions; it's real, practical truth that's lived out in the power of the Spirit. Why can we know them now? They're un- they're unattainable to man. They're unattainable to us in our own strength. What's different about us? Why can we know that? If we're here and we're genuine blood-bought Christians, why? The Spirit of God indwells us. If you're here and you're a genuine Christian, the Spirit of God indwells you. You were blind. But now you can see. You were once foolish in your darkened hearts. Now you've been redeemed. The Spirit of God indwells his people, and there is the key. We access our walk, the strength of our walk, a righteous maturing in Christ through the power of the Spirit as we pray for the Spirit of God to enlighten us with wisdom and knowledge of who we are in Christ. So verse 15, look there kind of uh, as Paul begins to address this. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith that, uh, of the faith that is, uh, that is in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Now, that's pretty straightforward language, but uh, don't just, just breeze by that. This is real. So the faith is a reality. The love is a reality. They really have faith in Christ, and they really love the saints. Now, why is this true? Because of their faith in Christ, the love is significant. It's a different love. It's a love that stems from their position in Christ. It's a love that stems from the reality that Christ first loved them. And therefore, they love one another. And a unique love that is predicated upon Christ first loving them. The same is true for us. It's real and it's significant. It's a decisive act of grace that Christ loved them. He redeemed them. He redeemed us. And it's a sustained attitude of faith because of his first loving us. Now we have our position in Christ. We now have faith to love one another in a way that's pleasing and honoring to God. Now here's what we don't want to miss here. Because we just, again, we're so caught up in what does Scripture tell us to do? Well, we are being told to do something here. Paul is telling us by way of example. We pray that God will do a work in us that we can't do on ourselves, which is walk in righteousness. The faith is real. The love is real. Living it out must be empowered by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God brought about the real faith. Spirit of God brought about the real love. The Spirit of God will bring about the real walking in faith that gives evidence to the glory of God to our own looking world. So by way of application, man, well, what do we do with this? How do we kind of sort through this? Let me offer this first. Be amazed. Let that be your application this morning, but verse 15, be amazed That God set his love on you before the foundation of the world. That's That's a good prayer starter right there. You go before him and say, how do I start praying about this? God, that the spirit would grant me wisdom and knowledge of who I am in you. Well, here's a starter. You'd be amazed that he would set his love on a wretch like you. Before the foundation of the world, aren't we so arrogant? Aren't we? Isn't that some of the, uh, some of the greatest barriers for our, for our loving one another in a way that would be evident to the world? For our courage to go out and proclaim Christ in a world, in a culture that is kind of closing in on us? Aren't we so arrogant? So we preoccupied with ourselves. I know too often I am. Look at verse 16. Do not cease giving thanks. Uh, excuse me. And do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Now, there's Paul again saying, I, I, I continue to give thanks for you and I continue to pray for you. So he's given thanks to God for what? We're saving grace. We're thanking him for hey, you did set your love on us before the foundation of the world. He's thanking them. And then he's praying. He's praying that the redeemed in Christ will understand and enter into the benefits which they have already received. Now, again, that's what seems counterintuitive to us at times. This is our position in Christ. But yet the Spirit of God must give us capacity, spiritual wisdom to enter in to these benefits and live them out in a way of worship that honors God. They're true of us, but we can't just hold the truth and sit on it and it work its way out. There's worship here, and the worship comes through prayer. God must enable this, and it's our intimate begging that he do do so is really our, our role here in worship. And the time that we spend kind of patting ourselves on the back, And uh, and, um, pondering all our deep theological meanderings that we're so great at keeps us stuck in self-righteousness. And the praying seems to go by the wayside, but all the lofty knowledge that we have gained, my goodness. So there's the example. There's the prayer. The thankfulness And the praying that this would be true, an understanding of our benefits that we have already received. So an application here in verse 16. Again, uh, this is not profound. I'm just trying to put it as straightforward as I can. Understanding the benefits that are yours in Christ is the fuel that transforms your life. It's access through prayer. You want to understand it in a way that moves you. Unless it's empowered by the Spirit of God, unless it's a supernatural work in your life, it'll lay on the surface, and you'll feel good about yourself with all that you know, and it'll give your life no power. So you don't have the strength to live it out in and of yourself. The Spirit of God must do this. So here's an application of prayer. Pray that the understanding, the benefits of, for one another, that are yours already positionally in Christ. Pray that understanding them will be the fuel for your spiritual walk. Knowing that this is how Scripture tells us that God works in our lives. The Spirit must do it. In verse 17. Then that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Wow. So knowledge matters, right? Does knowledge matter? Knowledge matters. It certainly matters. Now, the knowledge of who we are in Christ really matters. We're called to belong to Christ and to live holy. Now, that's my language. It's kind of a nutshell, but that's nonetheless true. God has called us to belong to Christ in Christ. His atoning work on our behalf belong to him. We're slaves to Christ. Our life is not our own. And then we're commanded to walk in holiness and enabled by the spirit to do so. Our role in worship is to plead that that will be true. So we can't work this up in our own power. That's something that we cannot do. So as the spirit applies a knowledge of who we are in Christ, our practice of holy living is encouraged and enhanced. The Spirit helps us understand that we are one with God in Christ. We know that. intellectually, we know that. Theologically, we know that. Experientially, at some surface level, we know that. The Spirit of God puts that into a lifestyle of worship. He sets that in gear. He, he turns the ignition on and puts, the, puts that in gear in our Christian life as it moves forward empowered by God. So we are holy in our position before God in Christ. That's done. That's settled. Let's do the language of Ecclesiastes 3.14. That's a settled thing. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it. There is nothing to take away from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. God has done this work. He has placed us in Christ. Nothing can change that. Our act of worship is to pray that the spirit of God puts it in gear. That we live it out to God's glory and the power of this indwelling spirit. God's love, God loves us. He loves us perfectly. So... Our weakness, our frailty, our fear, our lack of wisdom, our lack of faith, our propensity to sin, none of that alters God's love for us. God's love for us does not change. He loves us perfectly, whether we are walking in obedience or whether we are sinning against God. God's love for us is never altered at all. That does not change. That's our position in Christ. God sees us hidden in the righteousness of Christ. So there's no change there. We're completing Christ, but we're maturing in our faith, in our walk, in our lives. We have a life to live here and we're accountable for our lives. And in that season, that little short whisper of time that we're here, we have an act of worship. And here, God gives us the key, the the if you will the the um, the key to kind of turn on the ignition of our sanctification. Pray that the Spirit of God will take the your position in Christ and make that a living active, breathing reality in your life of worship, that he will empower that, energize that reality. There we're complete, but we're growing. We're growing in our sanctification, and grasping who we are in Christ changes how we live. That's counterintuitive. I know that's the exact biblical truth. That's what we're called to do. That's the answer. For our walking, our growth, our our growth, our sanctification in Christ. Knowing who we are more fully by the power of the Spirit changes how we live. So, how do we apply that? Well, shocker, pray that this will be a reality in your life and the lives of your brothers and sisters. There's some theology. You want some theology from the pulpit? There it is. You want an application for your life that's tangible that you can walk away with? Well, pray that this that Paul is saying here to us in Ephesians, God's word will be true for you and for your brothers and sisters. Now I want to bring you to the delight in hope. We're depending on the spirit and now I want you to see that we're delighting in the hope. We're just going to deal with hope. The rest of the text, again, we'll try to pick up. And address later. But just that first part of verse uh, 18, I want you to see that we're depending upon the Spirit and we're delighting in the hope. So look there in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling. Now that's that's good, right? We want to know that, don't we? But you want to know what is the hope of His calling? Well, I do too. God has not hidden that from us. So think about the Christians there. Again, this, this comes to us. It comes to us in our context. It comes to every Christian in their context in their time. In, in, in the context here as Paul's as this letter is being uh, written and received by the, the, the original audience here, think about the Christians in Ephesus. Some things, there's nothing new under the sun in lots of ways. Think about the Christians there, right? So here's this small kind of marginalized um, band of believers there. In Ephesus, they're a minority, right? It's a big city. And the goddess Diana is top of the heap, right? Remember, we we worked through Acts not too long ago. It's a wall of filth and sin and wickedness that just erodes a culture out from under itself. All the perversity. All the scars, all the filth, these marginalized Christians are living in this perverse, dark culture. They're bringing up their children in this perverse, dark culture. Some of their family members are probably worshippers of the goddess Diana. They may be deeply involved with all the trimmings that go on to that. And again, we don't want to get too graphic here. we study some of that so we know how perverse some of that was. Their friends may have dropped them like a bad habit once they became followers of Christ. Amen, somebody? Their family members may have turned their backs on them. But here they are, this little band of worshippers, worshipping God, living the Christian life as a marginalized minority in a very perverse culture. Does that ring a bell anymore? We, too, live in an ever-increasing dark culture. And again, um, you are becoming the ones with a bullseye on your back. For your Christian profession, you are the ones that are spewing out hate speech according to the culture. You are the ones that are the problem according to the cultures. You are the ones that need to be dealt with according to the culture in an ever increasing way. It's nothing new under the sun, but we certainly need to understand what is the hope of our calling. And here I want to say this is where kind of the rubber meets the road, and we need to learn the lesson. Because I fear this is where we're ships passing in the night when it comes to Scripture. Scripture is sitting before us, giving us the reality of who we are, and we're just kind of passing that by, and we're looking for something to do, right? I'm not saying it's just cultural, but we are famous for that in our culture. We're, we're, we do. We do stuff. So it's, you know, give me a program. Give me a conference, give me a curriculum, give me something to do. And a lot of times, if we're honest, a lot of times this wanting to do is really a way for us to kind of, um, how do I say it gently? Um, Kind of to appease ourselves a bit. It's those felt needs, right? Give me something to do. And and those things we like to do always have to do with uh, kind of massaging those felt needs that we have. And it just feels good, but it has nothing to do so often with walking in righteousness. We're so busy about doing stuff that gives us no capacity, grants us no capacity, gives us no power, enablement to walk in righteousness. Give us something practical to do. Right. Well, here's what we need. We need, what we need is a spirit of knowledge and revelation in Christ. You need to know God. That's what you need. You need to know God. You need to know the hope to which he has called you in Christ. That's what you need to know. Only the Spirit of God can help you know that, enable you to know that, grant you the capacity to know that, the way you need to know that. But the text tells you and I, we need to know that. Right where you are, right in the context that God's called you, right in the circumstance that God's placed you in, right around the people that God's God's engaged you with, friends, family, uh, uh, otherwise. Right there, you need to know God in the position That he has granted you in Christ, you need to know him in wisdom and knowledge to the fullest degree. That's what you need. That's what you need. That has nothing to do with your felt needs and everything to do with your identity in Christ. Mm -hmm. That's what you need. What about this? Here's an example. You need to know the knowledge of God. What about that? Just think about this a little bit. He is creator and sustainer of all things. What about that? Now, that's just scratching the surface of who God is. What about if you just knew that? I mean, really knew that. That fear? That lack of courage? Knowing God as creator and sustainer of all things, that'll help That doubt, that preoccupation with all the trinkets of this world. Just knowing him as creator and sustainer of all things. That'll help. That'll put your priorities in order. He's that. He's more than we can fathom. But just let me say a few things. He is also gracious. He's gracious. He understands your needs. He understands your needs better than you think you understand. Them. He understands them so well. He can explain to you that what you think you need is not really what you need, but he knows what you need. He knows your needs. The Creator and Sustainer of the universe knows your needs, and he's gracious. He's gracious. He's happy to shower you with spiritual blessings. He's happy to do so. He's slow to anger. Amen, somebody. Just this morning, praise God. He's slow to anger towards me. And you, if you are hearing in Christ, and he's abundantly abounding and so much more in the fullness of his infinite character, and he lavishes his grace upon you. And he says to us in his word, you pray that you really know what your position is in Christ, that you will walk in righteousness and that you will live out your life in Christ in holiness. And that you will be a vessel of, of his worth and that you will be a carrier of his gospel and that you will be a reflection of his glory. So what's an application here in verse 18? Okay. Stay with me. It's been, I don't want to get all over the place here. All right. Just going in so many directions. So stay with me. All right. Here we go. Application. Pray. Pray that the spirit of God would enlighten your hearts and minds with the knowledge of the benefits of being in Christ. Pray that. Spiritual truth that God has instructed you to pray in his word, knowing Christ, knowing him, so that you would embrace those truths and live in light of those truths. You pray. The spirit of God would enlighten your capacity to know who you are in Christ and live in light of them. Is that profound? Is that lofty? Is that somewhere mysterious and mystic? It doesn't need to be. You pray exactly that and leave the spiritual work up to God and praise him for his work in your life. Now, hope here. Wow, because for us, you know, that kind of, it's a little, it's a little tricky word. You know, it's, um, wow, hope. I'm hoping this will happen. There's a little uncertainty attached to hope in our language. Not in the New Testament, okay? So we're talking about delighting in hope. Hope defined as we understand in the New Testament. And In the New Testament, hope does not <laughs> express uncertainty at all. Rather, hope is the assurance of the reality that we have not yet fully experienced. Now, that's not my definition, but that's a really good one. That's exactly what New Testament hope is. It's not an uncertainty that maybe this might happen. It is an absolute guarantee that we have not yet fully experienced in this life. We are hidden in Christ. He has redeemed us forever. Once we leave this earth, we will be with him forevermore in eternal glory, ever increasing in our knowledge and understanding of his majesty and worth all throughout eternity. That is a guaranteed fact. But we've not lived that out fully yet. We would be freed from the presence of sin that we so struggle with in this life, but that's not what we fully experienced yet. But it's a hope, it's biblically speaking, which means it's a guaranteed fact. So hope in the New Testament. Is assurance of this reality, who we are in Christ. This is who we are. And it's an assurance, but we've not yet experienced all that till its fullest degree. Nonetheless, it's assured to us. This is who we are in Christ. And that's how we see our worship, and that's what we pray for God to do in us. So what's your position? What's your hope? What's, your ho- what's the hope of your calling? Well, Romans 8.30 speaks to it in its fullest sense. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, you haven't experienced all that. But it's assuredly yours in Christ. That's the hope of your calling. This is the hope of your calling right here. So pray for this truth to take hold of your life. Pray this way for one another. Application here in verse 18. It comes by way of a question. So let me ask a question. Are the blessings that God has provided for you in Jesus saturating your mind and nurturing your soul? They should be. God intends for them to be. How does that work? Will you pray that who you are in Christ will energize your sanctification? That this would be true of you. That all these blessings that he has provided you, the blessing, the riches of who you are in Christ, the spiritual riches that belong to you in Christ, will saturate your mind and nurture your soul. And there you will be fueled to walk in righteousness. There you'll be fueled to live in holiness. And you'll be preoccupied with what you need to do to satisfy your felt needs. Question number two. Is your confidence in life and death grounded in Christ alone? If you were in Christ, then that is a surely true of you. They are. In life and death, your confidence is in Christ alone. Christ has taken our place of judgment. Christ bore the wrath we deserved and provided the forgiveness we did not deserve. That's what he has done on our behalf. Do you have this hope? That's question three. Is that reality true of you? That's the gospel. That's the invitation. That's the last question. Is that true of you? Second Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciles us to him through Christ and gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not, uh, not counting their, uh, tr- their uh, trespasses uh, against them, And he has committed to us a word of reconciliation. John 14, 1 through 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Oh, what a glorious assurance that we would not let our hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Man, if our hearts and minds are saturated with the culture around us, in the current climate, in the current narrative, our hearts will be troubled. And Scripture tells us, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That's a trustworthy promise. That's a promise. From God, that's assured to all saints that you haven't fully experienced yet. But it's exactly, absolutely true. See, knowing that, and the power of the Spirit grants you the capacity to walk in righteousness in your current context, which hasn't fully experienced that. You got to know the assurance. The Spirit of God has to do that in your life. You got to know the assurance. And finally, because the last question was simply this, do you know that? Do you know this hope, hope of assurance? Well, now I want to give you the the counter to those two prior passages of Scripture, a very sobering Scripture in Revelation uh, 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave, And free men hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So. In these cultures where Christ is mocked and belittled are men that cry out to the creation and beg the creation to hide them from the presence of the creator. Don't be in that category. Don't be in that group. I understand this here. It's a desperate plea for annihilationism. I'm just praying that somehow, because what rock can hide you from the eternal creator? It's a phantom prayer to erase me. No one's going to be erased. We're all going to die. And we're all going to face God. Doesn't matter if the culture mocks that. That's a biblical truth. Don't be in that group. That's the call. That's the call. That's the hope. That's the promise. May the Spirit of God work out our position in Christ to the glory of God. May we pray that it will be so in ourselves. And for one another. Let's pray. Gracious Father, um, what a weighty text. What a glorious reality. What a a blessing that is beyond our comprehension. So we pray this morning that the spirit of God that dwells your people. Your spirit indwells us. You are so gracious to us. The spirit of God would hear our plea. That these truths, these biblical truths, this hope, this assurance, this our position in Christ by the enabling spirit will be energized in such a way that we would live these truths out that we can't even lay hold of in our own capacity. They're too lofty, they're too grand, they're too glorious for us to fathom and ponder and put into a box and a program and a plan and a platform. They're yours, and you've lavished them upon us in Christ, our substitutionary sacrifice, our glorious Savior. We're praying, great God, great triune God, that the Spirit who indwells your people, Will so hear our prayers and, and, and prick us to in, can, can continue as a lifestyle of prayer that we would be knowing, continually knowing who we are in Christ. And that you might take that truth in your way to your glory and grant us capacity to walk it out in worship of you in a way that is pleasing and honoring to you and good for your people. May it be so, we pray, great God.